This is a small passage within the light of the crucifixion narrative, the passion narrative of John's gospel. This is the one part of the story that takes up more than any other part of the story in all four gospels, from Jesus' last meal with his disciples all the way through his resurrection. There are all kinds of questions that emerge in the course of Jesus sharing this last meal with his disciples as he goes to the garden with them and he prays as Judas betrays him, as they come and arrest him, as his disciples do stand up and fight and Peter cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus heals him. And he goes and he stands before Pilate and he stands before Herod and they pass him back and forth. He gets whipped and he gets beaten with rods. He gets mocked by everyone around. He gets taken to Golgotha after he has to carry his own cross and stumbles. And there he's crucified. And nailed to the cross above his head is, Behold, the King of the Jews. This is what happens to someone who claims to be a king in Caesar's empire. This is what happens to someone who presents himself to be the Messiah among other Jewish leaders when they can't see him for who he is. This is a small part of the story, and yet it's super significant. What does it mean for Jesus to be a king? What does it mean for Jesus to be a crucified king? What does it mean for his kingdom to be not of this world, And for him to say things like, if it were from this world, my followers would be fighting for me. But instead, I'm going to endure whatever you throw at me until it kills me and then I'm going to rise from the dead. What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus? To jump into that today, to think about that today, I want to start by asking you, what would it look like for the news to cover this part of Jesus' story. We we get these four accountings in the Gospels of, of what happens, but I wonder what it would look like for the news to cover the story today. Because the news constantly demands our attention. We've been taught that to be good citizens uh, of our country, to be good citizens of the world, we need to know what's going on with current events. We need to be aware about political developments. We need to be aware about other things that are happening. We need to be tuned in to the news. It feels like a requirement to keep up with all the things going on. And if we're going to do that well, and we know that the news isn't always objective, we can't just read one story about what's going on. We have to read it from a bunch of different perspectives to try to get down to it. And you know this intuitively, and if you don't, the best way to learn is if, you're, if you've got a favorite sports team, especially if it happens to be one that's playing football on Thanksgiving this year, just listen to the opposing team's broadcast for one game. Even if they're trying to be objective and you're rooting for a different team than they are, you know the difference. And it's deeply frustrating, right? It's easy to call them homers and pretend like you're the one who's objective. So it goes, too, with the news. Depending on what sources you read, you'll hear very different stories about Kyle Rittenhouse or the infrastructure bill or whatever else the thing will be this coming week. I could see some of you tense up just with the mention of those things because you've got opinions about those things. 
And you might be a little worried I'm going to give you mine. (laughs) But I'll spare you all of that. Instead, I've written a few different introductions to the story that might be told about this trial, about this man, who's the actual uh, subject of the sermon today. The one who I would say is Jesus, King of all creation. You might hear other stories if you read about it in the news. Like, attempt to usurp Caesar quelled with the arrest of Palestinian revolutionary. Or, extremist leader's arrest affirms the value of confidential informants. Or, man of color arrested under false pretenses, brutally beaten before being executed by the state in front of a shouting mob. What was he doing to merit arrest? praying in a garden while his friends slept nearby. Or after prolonged hand-wringing and passing the buck, political leaders permit extrajudicial killing of Jewish man. Or maybe spineless politician caves to religious elites to protect both parties' interests, results in the death of an impoverished teacher. Or maybe a murdering insurrectionist is released while a peaceful rabbi is crucified. The headline could read, The Dirty Truth, Jews Applaud the Use of Roman Violence When It Suits Them, But Not the Rest of the Time. Or maybe it would read, Blackmail, Corruption, and Moral Incompetence, How the Religious Right Clings to Power. This is how the news might start. To sensationalize the story that needs no sensationalizing. The king of all creation has died. There's one other set of headlines I want to talk about today. This is the headlines that I have never really understood why they gather so much attention. But to some of you, you won't understand why I don't understand. It's the headlines about the royal family. All you have to do is fit Prince Harry or Prince William or Princess Kate or Princess Meghan on a headline and everybody is reading the news, right? Did they do something good? Let's applaud them. Do they do something bad? Let's be shocked. Is there drama in the royal family? Let's all gaze upon it. They are news simply by being royal. Right? Are anybody else ever confused by this? Just me? Just for being royal, just because of how they're born, they are the news. And if it's good, we'll be happy. And if it's bad... We'll shake our heads. But you know one thing that's almost never going to happen to a member of the royal family? They're not going to get punished for doing something good. That's not the way it works for people who have such tremendous power and attention. They're almost always going to get the benefit of the doubt. Their stories, really all stories, are about people who have the power to act, people who have agency to do something, the ones who have the power to change something in the story. Those are the characters that we're interested in. We tell the stories of the shooter far more often than the victim, or the bomber, or the politician, or the hero, or the villain. This is why the introductions of the stories that I the way I tried to introduce Jesus' story according to the news is important. Because not one of those headlines had much to do with Jesus. Jesus is the one who's acted upon, the one who's judged by others, the one who's betrayed by his friends, 
the one who's treated unjustly. It's the other ones that are the subject of all of those headlines and introductions. As if everybody else is in control but him. This dynamic where Pilate stands in front of Jesus and judges him is unbelievable. He is the judge of all the world. He's the one to whom we will answer at the end of all days. And he's sitting there underneath the whims of Pilate, who's asking him to prove that he's a king. To prove it or to deny it. To save his own neck. Jesus does neither of those things. But if the story were to be told by the news about Jesus, they wouldn't have much to do with Jesus. They'd have everything to do with the politicians and the religious leaders and all the people that they perceived to have power, not the one who was killed. They acted like Jesus was just someone being moved around by all of the important people, like everyone else was in control but him, And that's the truth with all the headlines every day. No matter which bent the media source that you're reading from has, they don't seem to know who the real royal family is. They don't seem to know who's really in charge. They don't seem to really know about Jesus, our benevolent king. So I wonder if you are living as if you know that Jesus is king the one who offered his own life for yours, a strange kind of king when kings usually demand that all the armies die so that they can be fine and their kingdom can be preserved. The kind of king that serves his friends. The kind of king that offers grace to any who ask of it. I wonder if you know that Jesus as king. Not just have you known him once a long time ago, but... Is your life oriented around him such that he deserves every headline? Such that everything else that you read is seen in light of Jesus reigning over the cosmos? Or are you more concerned about all the powers and principalities than you are about the one who laid the foundations of the universe? Are you more focused on yourself as the hero of your story to the point that God can't be the hero of your story? Do you want the story of your life to be about you or do you want it to be about Jesus? Do you want your life, your family, your work to testify to who your king is? Are you working for some other end? Because at the end of the day, whichever news source you pick or all of them are ultimately going to tell you that the world is going the wrong direction. They might tell you it's about socialism. They might tell you it's about inflation. They might tell you it's about climate control or corporate greed or whatever acts they want to sharpen that day. But if Jesus is king, if Jesus is king, what does that mean for you? If Jesus is king, if the sign that was put over him on the cross that said the king of the Jews wasn't just there to mock him, but actually stated the truth about who Jesus is. What does it look like for you to be his subject? And what sort of king is he? He's the kind of king that would die for you. He's the kind of king that his kingdom will not demand that you kill others 
But the way that you destroy your enemies is by making them friends of you and the Lord. This is what it looks like to serve Jesus as king and to abide in his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that what happens in the news doesn't matter. I'm not saying that what you do doesn't matter, as if we should all just sit by and say, oh, Jesus is king, nothing is important. I'm not saying that the brokenness of the world is of no concern. In fact, that's what we'll be talking about through Advent, is how Jesus comes to save us from the brokenness of the world. But what I am saying is that if you really have confessed Jesus as Lord, If Jesus is your Lord and you are his vassal, you are his servant, that comes with some expectations about him and about you. If Jesus is your king and you are his subject, that says something about how you are to live. And everything else that we encounter, whatever the headlines are today or tomorrow, has to be seen in the light of the gospel that we serve a king who died we beheld on the cross to be our king and who's been raised from the dead and vindicated and offered us a promise of new life far beyond the perils of this world. If Jesus is king, everything else starts to take on a different color for us when we encounter it. And we start to be shaped by his grace. His grace that changes us to look more and more like him and less and less like the people who are inclined to be in the news stories where his power begins to rule over our lives such that we know that he is in charge and that all will be well, even if it's not right now. Where we know that we've been accepted into his royal family, that we've been made heirs to all of the inheritance that the royal family has to offer, that all the riches of God are available to us, not just in terms of material things or even primarily but all of the riches of the mansion of God and that God loves us. He's not some king who we can read about in the news stories, but he cares for you and he knows your name and he knows the number of hairs on your head and he wants good things for you and he expects you to use his gifts in service to his kingdom to love as extravagantly as he has. He's a king who doesn't ask more of you than he's willing to offer himself. And he's been willing to offer everything. So as we head into Advent, I want to challenge you to be devoted to your king. Sometimes we talk about what we do in the morning or in the evening as a devotion, right? If you you have a little thing that you read to remind you of God, some of you use the upper room. Some of you read scripture uh, in, a, in a habitual way. Some of you just take time to pray. You call that your devotion. And I wonder what it looks like for you this week and throughout the season of Advent to devote your lives to the Lord. Not as a fan who says, oh look, there goes Jesus the King. But as a faithful subject to a faithful King that you can serve Him as he has already served you. Is he a king? He says that if we confess him to be so, we know the truth. In a world where the truth is really hard to find, that's really compelling to me. Will you pray with me? Christ Jesus, 
you who are the king, the heir of David's throne, the promised one who's a blessing not only to Israel but to all the world. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. We want to thank you for what you've given to us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we could know the sweetness of your salvation. We humbly ask, O oh Lord, that we could serve others as you have served us. We pray that your grace and your power and your acceptance and your love would shape us so that we might shine your light in the world to others, a world that sometimes seems darker than we could imagine. And yet your light pierces through it and shows us the goodness and the glory of your Father. And we abide in that light, O Lord, and share it, we pray. So we pray in your name, you who live and reign with the Holy Spirit and the Father, one God, now and forever. Amen.